This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Again, everybody, welcome to the Silver Bullets podcast. I am Michael Citro, and I'm Chip Minnick. Chip, we are inside, actually within the college football season. It's unbelievable! We somehow made it through. Did you get an opportunity to watch some college football on Saturday? I did. Not as I mean, not uh, nearly as I'm not nearly as devoted to. I guess you could say to watching. Uh, college football on the, the weekends when Ohio State is not playing. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say in my defense, but there was a local beer festival here in town. So that kind of went out. Yeah, I could see that. I could see how that would uh, have its appeal to certain people like me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. it. You have a wife that likes to do things with you. So that's right. That's that, right. Know, some of us are just on our own (laughs) we get to we get to watch tv a lot because rather not uh, be bothered but uh it is time to talk a little bit about college football college football that has been college football that will be and of course get ready for ohio state against notre dame a huge titanic matchup of national powers historic programs iconic college football programs uh, they will meet Saturday night in the horseshoe. And just speaking for myself, not, I'm not trying to take away from the last two times that these programs faced off in bowl games, because those were those, I mean, were were very worthwhile. But I think there's something to be said about, you know, for the first time since 1995, Notre Dame coming into Ohio Stadium next year when Ohio State travels to South Bend you know, for the first time since 1996, you know, the fact that that, that home and home, I think it just adds to it. I, I, I'm really excited for Saturday. Boy, I remember being in the shoe for that 95 game and, uh, you know, those, the players, iconic players, Eddie George, Terry Glenn, those guys, I think I might be wrong on the, the receiver. I mean, it was just, no, a big, you, it was a big game. Terry Glenn. Yeah. Terry it Glenn. Ter- okay. It was Terry Glenn. Okay. Sometimes those old, bygone years blend together <laughs> well <laughs> i i mean i i look back on that um as somebody who was not actually in the stadium but as somebody who was at the varsity club at the time okay. um again you know it was one of these things where let's face it you know it was uh you know back then that was like the first time since like 1935 1936 that Indeed. those programs had had played um and as you that were there. And that's kind of where, you know, Eddie George, you know, that, that turned out to be his Heisman trophy year. That was kind of, you know, a national spotlight game, if you will, for Eddie George against a nationally ranked, you know, renowned program such as Notre Dame. 
I mean, it was it definitely has a lot of memories. I mean, the Big Ten Network has not been shy about showing it, even though you're you're talking. It's it, it's scary to think about that it was almost thirty years ago, but it's like they they have been showing it very frequently, and I, I have no doubt that I'm sure they will have maybe have like an airing or two before Saturday. Yeah, it would be nice to. I actually should go and watch that again because I, I may have. It's possible that I may have had just one, maybe two or three beers prior to that Ohio State Notre Dame game that I went to many years ago. You know, I had to, I had to properly pregame. I had to get ready. You know, I had to be in the proper frame of mind and 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 be willing to subject my voice to about four hours of just nonstop screaming at the top of my lungs. And, you know, you just can't do that without some lubrication. That's right. That's right. And uh, I guess if you do have the opportunity to go back and watch it, uh, fullbacks were in vogue for both teams. Oh, they both, were. Both, both teams use their fullbacks. And so it's just kind of, again, you know, like a throwback time of, you know, when you think about the how – I guess you could say how the offenses have evolved. Um, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, like obviously the, the, the creation of, of the, the, you know, like the spread style offenses that dominate college football today. And you, and then you go back and you watch, you know, uh, linebackers with the, with the neck rolls and fullbacks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it just definitely brings back, you know, a lot of fond memories. I like watching those old games and counting how many players would have gotten ejected for targeting. Um, yeah, I mean, very good point. I mean, it definitely, like I said, it, it, you know, there was some hard hitting in that game without a doubt targeting. And uh, the other thing you see a lot of, uh, would be penalties for roughing the passer that were not penalties for roughing the passer back then. Now that one, I, I have to draw a blank. I'm not sure if I saw anything that would, would be called today, but I mean, it definitely, like I said, it's worth a watch. Yeah. There's three or four different things. There's the the blindside hits were legal. The um, there was no such thing as the defenseless player thing, right? It, it, I mean, they just laid each other out. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, a, a really big thing was kickoffs. You know, nowadays mm-hmm. where you know the idea of you know that you can you can basically fair catch. You know, like in in that game, you know, you can see how like special teams was such a prime aspect. You know, kickoff returns was of paramount consideration during that game. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about the news of the week. The the biggest news I guess would be the Buckeyes launching their NIL club chip. Have you had a chance to look into that? What is um what is your take on the NIL club that uh, the Buckeyes launched this past week and how will it well, affect uh, their recruiting maybe? Well, that's a, I mean, it's a really good point um, to answer one of your questions. I have not had a chance to look into it per se, but I know that it was on Twitter. A lot of the players prior to its release or announcement, if you will, uh, were saying, Hey, we're, we're announcing this, you know, and, um, I know that there's a big fundraising effort by the players uh, on a monthly basis to have that that money in there, you know, for the for the I guess you could say for the collective good. Um, I'm kind of curious, honestly. It's it's up in the air in terms of 
uh, you know, like which players are going to reap the benefit, so to speak, you know, like obviously like there are named players, you know, such as, you know, like CJ Stroud or, you know, other players that are, that are well-known. How is that going to impact the the players who are, you know, third string, you know, you know, incoming freshmen walk-ons. I mean, it, it remains to be seen how NIL is going to play out across the whole range of, of players involved in the program. Yeah. It will be interesting to keep an eye on this. We're still really in the infancy. infancy. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the proper word. It's, it's, there's no telling the twists and turns that this will take and how it will affect the bigger programs. Um, will it, will it make the bigger programs even bigger? Uh, will there be a sort of a backlash against the bigger programs and, and how this all plays out. So it, it, the next several years is going to be, they're going to be incredible because of not only NIL, but also like we talked about USC and UCLA joining the big 10 and potentially other ripple effects of that. And, you know, what kind of conferences are we going to be left with? Uh, will there be two tiers of uh, division one football? I mean, many things to come. That's the, you know, the, I think they, that Neil Peart said it best. Uh, changes aren't permanent, but change is. Very, very good quote right there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about week zero. Okay. So did you get a chance to watch Northwestern and Nebraska from the football Mecca of Ireland uh, <laughs> in uh, in what was a very entertaining game and ultimately a 31-28 Northwestern victory and yet another one-score loss for Scott Frost's Huskers? Unbelievable. Um, I, I saw some of it. Uh, quite quite. Um, surprised of the final result to be, I mean, I, I truly thought Nebraska, I mean, considering they pounded Northwestern last year, I mean, they, they had their way with them. And um, if anything, I, I know that everyone is understandably fixated on Scott Frost's controversial decision to kick an onside kick mm -hmm. uh, that, that backfired spectacularly and yes. gave all the momentum to Northwestern. Um, if I was a Nebraska fan and I'm, happy that I'm not, but I, if I was, <laughs> um, I would be more concerned about the inability of Nebraska's offensive and defensive lines to control the line of scrimmage because Nebraska was unable to effectively run the ball. And that's, you know, you and I, we kind of joke about, you know, back in the day, but like that was, that was what Nebraska was, was known for was just a relentless ground game. It, it did not even come remotely close to showing against Northwestern and conversely Northwestern was able to the last, I believe like 15 plays they, they were able to just run the ball just repeatedly and Nebraska was unable to, to stop them. So, you know, when you think about Nebraska being in the big 10 West and when, you know, like Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, Minnesota, those, you know, Illinois, and I know we'll talk about Illinois here in a moment, you know, those are teams that kind of live and die predominantly on the ground. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're Nebraska, you, you better figure out something quick. Yeah, that's a great point. I Watching this game, you know, the first half, what stuck out to me was that this is what a Nebraska offense can look like with a competent quarterback. In the second half, uh, their new transfer quarterback looked like he got a little shook and uh, was not making plays. 
They weren't protecting very well. The offensive line, I thought, had a, a terrible game in both phases. They were allowing pressure and they weren't getting any push for running uh, running plays. And then, as you mentioned, the defensive side of the ball, they could not only not cover anybody, but they could also not get any pressure on the quarterback. Nebraska's defense, either it's really bad or Northwestern suddenly got about a hundred times better offensively in the offseason. I don't think that happened. So I think it's more the former that Nebraska has some problems on defense. Right. And I mean, Scott, Scott Frost was already on the hot seat. I don't know what you would characterize, you know, what, you know, what degree that, you know, are we now, you know, like I, I think of like when you go to get wings and they have, you know, like hot wings and then they're like, you know, like, you know, like volcanic nuclear. Like yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the caliber of seat that he's sitting on. I mean, I, I'm sure that you've seen and maybe our listeners have seen some of those memes joking about Scott Frost running to the plane as it's taking off from Ireland, you know, like because the guy, I mean, from what I understand uh, as it relates to his contract buyout, it falls dramatically uh, mid-October, something I, the date escapes me, but I know it's sometime in October that mm -hmm. the buyout is something that, all right, if you're in Nebraska, you know, you, you want to go X number of games and then when you, when or if you fire Scott Frost, the buyout falls dramatically and people are already speculating, okay, you know, like, look at this, look at, you know, for this particular opponent or for this particular date. Um, I feel bad for Scott Frost as, as somebody who played for Nebraska, helped lead them to a co-national championship in 1997. Mm -hmm. But so far, the the magic that he had at UCF has not has not transferred over to Nebraska, and that's basically what the fans in Lincoln were expecting when he was hired years ago. Yeah, it really is. It's been a, a total nightmare for him. He hasn't been able to like these Nebraska teams could not beat those UCF teams, and no. theoretically, he should be able to recruit. He should be able to sell his program because nobody knows it as well as he does. It's unfortunate you know you watch, you look back at this game and nebraska had control of the game they had a two score lead and everybody will make a, a meal of the onside kick decision because it didn't work if it does work nobody's talking about that today um, exactly but it, and it was really poor execution on the kicker's part he made it, i mean he couldn't have made it any easier for it to be recovered uh by the other team but Maybe that's a, a decision you don't make. And apparently Scott Frost is the one who made that decision uh, to go for that onside kick and try to you know get another possession and put the game away. You can understand that. But with a two-score lead, I mean, they had been fairly controlling Northwestern to some degree defensively in the game, forcing some punts. Uh, and maybe you just make them play the long field again and and maybe everything works out. Maybe it doesn't, but... Uh, it's not like Northwestern beat them with tons of big plays. They beat them with four yards here, six yards here, eight yards there. And I mean, they made Northwestern's quarterback look like, you know, Tom Brady. I mean, I think he completed, I think it was, he was seven of seven, I think at one point. And then I think at another point he was maybe 13 of 15. I mean, he just was hitting everything because he was, he had no one in his face. Nobody was covering anybody. There were several busted plays in the secondary and uh, just a mess for Nebraska. And then 
really not a good look after game one for Scott Frost to be throwing his, uh, his coaching staff under the bus. No, it wasn't, um, you know, for him to, in essence, say, you know, in so many words, we need to be better balanced. Okay. That's something that you say amongst your coaches. You do not say to the media to try and, you know, point the finger at, you know, like I, the, the stand-up move was when he said that the onside kick was his. You, mm-hmm. you alluded to that a few moments ago. Yep. But yeah, it was completely wrong of him to you know say, okay, well, we threw the ball too much and didn't run enough, which was true, but he didn't have to say it into the media. Mm-hmm. So it just made him look really bad. Well, it's easier to run more when you're having some success doing it. True. And they really didn't have that much. So they broke a couple of runs for what, 10 or 12 yards. There really weren't any big runs that like you would normally see Nebraska break some big runs. Right. Like I said, it's kind of what you, you've grown accustomed to watching Nebraska football through the years. Yeah. So <laughs> we both picked Northwestern to finish last in the big 10 West in our prediction. My, yeah. So far we're off to a Sterling start. Yeah, not great. Not great. Maybe we should have flipped Nebraska and Northwestern. Maybe. maybe. Uh, and uh, there was another big 10 game on week zero. And that was the Wyoming Cowboys went to Illinois to the wind tunnel to face Burt and the fighting Burt's of Illinois. And uh, it was no trouble at all for the Illini. 38 to six win there and a lot of running North Illinois didn't seem to have any trouble moving the ball, doing really much of anything. And Wyoming didn't seem to be able to throw the football at all. Didn't seem to even want to throw the football that much. And then played a little conservatively in the red zone when they had, uh, it was pretty clear that if you want to stay in this game, you can't settle for field goals, but that's what they did. Right. Yeah. Illinois definitely. they are showing dr- dramatic improvement since Bielema arrived. Like last year, even though they wound up with a losing record, they, you know, much more competitive. We kind of talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Big Ten West. And that is, you know, obviously, you know, for Illinois to get into bowl game contention, this was a game that they had to win. And they did that. Um, I don't know how they're going to do for the, the rest of the way out, uh, you know, I know that in, in a couple of weeks, they actually have a rare Thursday night game against Chattanooga, you know, on the Big Ten Network, you know, so those, those you know, opportunities in their non-conference schedule, you know, Illinois has to seize them and they did that against Wyoming. Yeah. So Illinois off to a good start, Northwestern off to a good start, the state of Illinois off to a good start in Big Ten <laughs> football. Speaking of Big Ten football, it continues. This week, and it starts Thursday with two games on the uh, schedule. Penn State visits Purdue. This is a game that I think Purdue can win, and we will get a good test, uh, I think, for Penn State to see if if their if their offense can can score points and if their quarterback play is good. Uh, this is a a game of strength against weakness for both sides. I think uh, Purdue's got a much better offense than defense. Penn State has a much better defense than offense. So it's going to be interesting to watch this one from West Lafayette. I agree. I think, you know, and when it comes to Purdue, going to Ross-Aid Stadium has been, I mean, many a team has has suffered, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say an unpredictable 
but you know, and un, you know, when it comes to going there, it's it's not a gimme. Too uh, soon, you know, Chip. And, Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. And uh, the fact that it is a night game, and I, I believe that Penn State is is favored by three and a half. So that, that, in my estimation, again, I'm not I'm not the gambling type. I think that almost makes it that even. You know, mm-hmm. when when you're looking at these, as you said, you know, it's like both of these teams. We're going to find out kind of where they are. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, with, with, for example, like with, uh, Purdue, they lost David Bell, but they're counting on some transfers from Iowa to supplement their wide receiver core. We'll see, you know, when it comes to Penn state, you know, Sean Clifford is back again, uh, you know, at quarterback and we'll see if Penn state can, can develop any kind of semblance of a running game, because Mm -hmm. that's going to be vital for their success in the big 10 this coming year. So that's that's one of the games that's on Thursday night. Yep. Eighth year senior Sean Clifford leading yep. the Penn State Nittany Lions, uh, plus two or three COVID years uh, also to add on. So he'll be around for a few more years. Um, but uh, the other game is New Mexico State going to Minnesota. I don't expect the Golden Gophers to have a lot of problems in this game. No, this is kind of what we were just talking about with Illinois about capitalizing on those non-conference opponents. And I think Minnesota should be able to win this one. I don't want to say easily, but Minnesota as, as Ohio state fans recognized last year and remember from last year, you know, Minnesota wasn't necessarily an easy opponent, you know, in game one, I think the fact that uh, the game is at Minnesota, I, I think they're going to try and use this as an opportunity to, position themselves well uh going into the 2022 season yep other oddball night games will be friday western michigan going to michigan state i can never keep track of which directional michigan school (laughs) is going to be good and which ones are going to be bad there's usually one decent one and two bad ones uh i don't think sparty will have any trouble in this matchup and the other one is illinois back at it already again they're going on the road to indiana Right. I I like Sparty against Western Michigan, regardless of what direction we're talking about. I think <laughs> uh, the fact that it's a MAC opponent, I think it sets it, it sets up Michigan State very well uh, for a successful start. And I'm going to say that Illinois, I think they've, they've I don't want to say discovered, but they're going to try and use the same blueprint that works so well for them against Wyoming. They're going to try and do the exact same thing at Indiana. And we'll see if Indiana has improved from what was a disastrous 2020-21 season. Yeah, we'll find out. All right, we are going to get to Saturday's slate of games, which also includes, obviously, uh, Michigan will be in action with one of their two starting quarterbacks. And we will also be looking at Ohio State and Notre Dame. And all of that we're going to get to in just a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to bring in a special guest. We're going to do that right after this. And we're back. And to help us talk a little bit about Ohio State and Notre Dame, we're welcoming in Brendan McCallenden from SB Nation's uh, One Foot Down blog. Brendan, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh Certainly, under some some strange circumstances, we we lost power out here. Um, I see the candles there. That is, yeah, yeah. the candles going, hooked up <laughs> to the Wi-Fi. The 
most of Michigan's out of energy right now must be hooked up to the same hamster wheel that whatever powers Jim Harbaugh's brain to come up with that two quarterback system he's rolling into the season with. <laughs> you got a little, uh, you got a little hot spot going. Is that what's going on? Yeah, we got a hot spot luckily, but uh, yeah, it's 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 been pretty rough. Oh, got some yeah. little ones too, which makes it even harder because everything's streaming these days. Oh yes, it is. Yes, uh, and the yeah, the children lose their ability to stream or play video games. And no one has a good day from that point onward. So I, I feel your pain, but I, I'm I'm glad you could hop on and talk, tell us a little bit about Notre Dame. You guys, I want to start out with your new quarterback. You got a, a new quarterback starting this year. What can you tell us about him and what do you expect from uh, Notre Dame's passing game? And also um, with the fact that Notre Dame has lost a starting wide receiver for the year, how does that affect things? Yeah, so uh, as far as going into the season, uh, what to expect out of Tyler Buckner, um, the the entire offseason, everything has been tight-lipped. Um, they only had two open practices, both open practices that the, the media had, full practices. Um, one was the first day, so it was they weren't even in shells. And then the second one was after the big scrimmage of the fall camp, and it was mostly special teams. So the the beat writers and most of the people on site, they've seen Chancey Stuffy, the wide receiver coach, throw more passes to wide receivers than they have Tyler Buckner. Uh, having said that, we did see him a lot in the games last season. He, he actually got in 10 games last year, uh, played a good chunk of the Virginia Tech game. Um, but he was installed mostly as a gadget player. Um, the playbook was very limited for what he was there to do. They wanted to get him onto the field, and Jack Cohn was going to get a majority of the snaps. Mm-hmm. So they thought, how are we going to get probably the most talented quarterback Notre Dame's had on their roster since Jimmy Clausen? I guess you know, if you, if you look at recruiting rankings, um, how do we get him on the field? And they said, well, we'll run it. Um, and so that's what he did, and he, and he, was, he was exceptionally well at it. Um, the misnomer on him is that that he is just a runner. Uh, if you actually look at his high school film and when he was coming into to school, um, he was more of a passing quarterback with the ability to run. Uh, but because of the package that they had installed for him last year, he he sort of there's this misconception that he's a runner who can pass, but it really should be the the other way around. But as far as what to expect, he didn't play his senior year. Of high school because out in California they canceled it for the COVID year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first real football that he saw in in over a year was, uh, you know, coming in as is sort of a gadget gadget player. So as far as what to expect from him, um, he can run. Uh, he's got a, a cannon for an arm. Um, the coaching staff. This is this is a guy that uh, Tommy Reese handpicked. Um, this is this is they. They could have had, they were in on JJ McCarthy, who went to Michigan, and JJ McCarthy reciprocated some of the goodwill. But Tommy Reese said, Nope, Tyler Buckner is my guy. And they shut down the recruitment on JJ. So he went to Michigan and Buckner came to Notre Dame. So this is a guy that uh, the staff has really wanted. Um, so as far as the wide receiver uh, aspect goes with losing Avery Davis, um, he's a, he was a six year guy, uh, team leader. Uh, they actually named him captain. Um, as far as his on the field production goes, he never had a season of more than 300 yards receiving. He actually was originally recruited to play quarterback. Then he moved over to cornerback and then he came back to wide receiver. And that's where he's been the last three years. Um, 
So as, as far as what he's going to do, what he would have done productively, uh, he was more of a clutch guy than he was a production guy against mm-hmm. Clemson in the the home game that they won uh, during the COVID year. Uh, he actually was the one that set up the the game winning go ahead score and then caught the game winning score. He caught like a fifty yard pass across the middle down to the three and then caught the game winning touchdown. Okay. So sticking with the uh, on the offensive side of the ball, you know one of one of as an Ohio State fan looking at Notre Dame, one of their strengths is the offensive line. But from everything that I've read is that uh, Jarrett Patterson has, you know, had some injury issues or concerns. Um, Is he going to be healthy to go against Ohio State at center on the offensive line for the Irish? Well, they've actually they it's funny when you look at the preseason rankings, everybody's he's almost the consensus preseason All-American center. Uh, That is not the position he will be playing this year. They're actually kicking him out to left guard. Um, and they're letting Zeke Carell play center. So they're taking their preseason All-American center and, and putting him at left guard. Um, they, they do have kind of an embarrassment of riches um, on the offensive line, and they're able, able to do that. As to whether or not he's going to play, uh, he was in a uh, – they say it's a foot sprain, and he's – last week they had pictures of him earlier in the week um, with his foot wrapped up and he's got one of those carts, uh, with the wheel and he's wheeling in and out of practice. But then at the end of the week, carts gone foots out of the wrap. And it sounds like he's back up and moving. Um, they say that he's questionable for the game, but with a foot sprain, it's about pain management. If Jared Patterson feels like he's going to be able to play through the pain, he's going to play the game. The coaching staff isn't going to, to say that he's going to play, but if I had to guess, um, there's no chance that if it's just a, a pain management thing, they're just going to give him a quarters. He's going to take a quarter zone shot to get out there. Brendan, let's flip the side of the other side of the ball. Now, um, obviously Ryan day has turned Ohio state's offense into something that we are all marveling at on our side of the field. We, we have not seen production like this in, in years past as, as good as Ohio state has sometimes been on offense. C.J. Stroud, of course, Jackson Smith and Jig, but what what is Notre Dame capable of doing to defensively to slow down that kind of a, a passing attack and at the same time keeping uh, Travion Henderson in check uh, from running the football? Well, I think first and foremost, um, Notre Dame's going to rotate a solid eight players across their defensive line, uh, headlined by a preseason All-American Isaiah Foskey. Um, one of the top draft eligible DNs in the country this year. Um, I think that they should, what they're going to want to do, especially is get pressure, test those new guards that Ohio State's breaking in. Um, they're going to see how well Paris Johnson makes the transition uh, to left tackle. And they're going to want to see the, the cohesion with a new offensive line. Uh, speaking from experience, you know, Notre Dame last year in that Florida state opener, I mean, they were starting four new offensive linemen and it, it, the left tackle got hurt first drive of the game, Blake Fisher. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was rough. Uh, it took a solid two months for Notre Dame's line to finally settle. They actually gave up 20 sacks in that month of September. And then it was like 11 uh, across the last seven games, but it took some time to, to gel everybody together. So I'm interested to see how Notre Dame's front m- matches up with a, an Ohio state line kind of finding itself early on. Um, if if Ohio the, the concern that I have, um, I, Notre Dame's got linebackers. Um, Marisol Files a guy to to keep an eye on. 
um, you know, Jack Kaiser, JD Bertrand, um, they're pretty solid there. They have a, uh, one of the better draft eligible corners, um, in Cam Hart. The, the problem is, is the guy opposite him, uh, Clarence Lewis, um, we saw him last year every time Notre Dame would, would match themselves up against a, a Drake London, a Josh Downs, uh, Alec Pierce, you know, these are all guys that are getting drafted. Um, and he was getting torched every time that they discovered that he existed on the field. And kind of, if you look at the Oklahoma state game last year, the, the bowl game, um, things went really well in the first half. And then Oklahoma state discovered that Clarence Lewis existed and they spent the entire second half picking on him and you know they they ended up beating Notre Dame you know they, Notre Dame was up 28-7 uh, with about a buck and change left in the half and then they discovered Clarence Lewis and Oklahoma State won 37-35 uh so so I'm concerned there um but uh you know Cam Hart's very good on the back end they have Brandon Joseph he's the transfer from uh Northwestern uh he had a pretty good game against Ohio State in the Big 10 title game two years back and was a freshman All-American. And then opposite him is uh, DJ Brown, who got a lot of snaps last year. He actually graded out as the highest rated, uh, according to uh, Pro Football Focus, the highest rated player on Notre Dame's defense once Kyle Hamilton went down with an injury because he was the guy that replaced Kyle Hamilton. So I feel pretty good about the safeties and I feel good about one of the corners. Uh, and the nickel should be okay and Tariq Bracey, but man, um, number six, uh, Clarence Lewis, if, if, if you see Ohio state receivers, um, uh, getting open, uh, you'll probably see number six is the guy who's, who's covering it. So that kind of leads me into a question I had defensively, uh, Michael, when he was talking about with Ryan day, uh, you know, and, and the offense, you know, with, with, you know, Marcus Freeman being, you know, a, a defensive guy. Uh, you know, just in his nature, can you tell us like how the melding of, if there is such a thing of like Al Golden, who came in, you know, from the Cincinnati Bengals as the defensive coordinator, you know, like how, how is the Notre Dame defense, you know, how is that, you know, that combination of Marcus Freeman, you know, I know he's the head coach, but obviously he has an affinity for defense, Al Golden, how's that all working out? Uh, so Near as I can tell, it's just going to be a continuation sort of of what started uh, way back in 2017 under Mike Elko. Um, So Mike Elko came in in 2017 and sort of fixed some of the issues that Brian Van Gorder had. And then Elko left the Texas A&M before their bagmen could could, you know, be out front with players. uh, They were buying coaches and assistant coaches. And they offered um, Alco the, the highest paid assistant coach's contract. And then his pupil, uh, Clark Lee, took over. And Notre Dame had great defenses in 18 and 19. And then his alma mater, Vanderbilt, came in 20. And then, uh, and then, 20. And then his uh, alma mater came calling in Vanderbilt. And Brian Kelly was able to get um, Marcus Freeman. And there's actually a lot of players on the defensive staff who have worked with Freeman before in the past. Uh, the cornerbacks coach. Um, he brought in James Laurinaitis. Uh, he's brought in, um, you know, uh, Al Washington. So a lot of the the players on that defensive side of the ball are all very familiar already with um, Mark Freeman and the things that Freeman wants to do. Um, and from it, we'll find out soon um, how much is going to be just a, a continuation of the the multiple fronts that that Freeman had. But I I don't I sort of picture um 
Al Golden almost more being a steward of um, Marcus Freeman's defense more so than he is coming to uh, not like, you know, Jim Knowles is coming in and he is bringing a brand new defense to Ohio State. Al Golden is not doing that. He is more acting as a steward to the pieces that are already existing within place. Well, we saw how being a steward of the head coach's system worked out for Kerry Combs. So I don't know what you're, what you're going to get there, but you obviously have somebody there that, that yeah. is, is more, um, more in tune with the defensive side of the football. Let me ask you this though, Brendan, where are your biggest, as a Notre Dame fan, where are your biggest concerns in this game? And what are the player matchups do you, that you think are going to decide Ohio State Notre Dame on Saturday night? Um, I guess the biggest concern I have in most Notre Dame's concerns is um, Brian Kelly was able to put together a, a pretty fair number of good teams under his tenure at Notre Dame. But if he had a shortcoming and it was a shortcoming that was there, um, it was the inability for him to prepare his teams and get them up for uh, the quote unquote big games, especially night games. Uh, famously in 2019, Notre Dame's got a game in Athens, Georgia. And he doesn't practice the silent count with his offensive line in that week leading up to it. And they had something like 10 false starts penalties in a game you lose 23 to 17. Um, They've had no shows like the no show against Miami in 2017. They had a no show against Michigan in 2019. Um, For me, the thing I'm most looking for is whether or not Marcus Freeman has this team prepared. Um, It is going to be the most, uh, you know, I, I've, I've looked into it. It's going to be the most talented team to have come to Columbus um, from a blue chip ratio and recruiting standpoint since the 2017 uh, Oklahoma Sooners. And the only team that's had a higher average recruiting ranking and blue chip ratio to come in to Columbus since the 2009 USC Trojans. So Notre Dame's going to have talent. They're going to have a lot of good players. Um, they have a solid probably three first-round draft picks that are going to be playing um, third first round this year, the, the 2023 draft. So Notre Dame is going to be a talented team. Um, they're going to have a lot of good pieces. Uh, I'm just interested to see how a first-time head coach and Marcus Freeman is able to get a team ready to go in what should be a hostile environment. It's a 2002 appreciation night, right? Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, – uh, a lot of a lot of uh, Marcus buddies should be there too. Uh, I imagine some of the players on the the O two team he, he ended up playing with as well. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely interested to see how how they get um, prepared and come into that game. I think early on we're going to know a lot how this game's going to go within that first you know five ten minutes, and that's that's kind of how. Um, Notre Dame teams have have gone in in events like this. Either they're ready to go early on, or it shows early. And the wheels come off. So um, early on, I'm interested to see if Marcus is able to, to get this team ready to go. As far as matchups go, um, I'm interested to see um, Paris Johnson Jr. and Isaiah Foskey on third down. I think that um, the the most important thing and what Marcus Freeman is going to want to do, and if you're going to win this game, if you're Notre Dame, is you need to put Ohio State into third downs. Uh, and the three lowest scoring outputs of Michigan season, or of Ohio State season last year was the Michigan game, the Nebraska game, and the Oregon game. And it's no coincidence that all three of those games were the games that Ohio State had to attempt the most uh, 
third downs, 19 in the uh, Nebraska game, 18 in the Michigan game, and 15 in the Oregon game. So the key is going to be limiting Ohio State, getting big splash plays, and making them methodically move down the field. Um, and if they can do that, and if they can get those third down opportunities, I think seeing um, that matchup between probably two first round picks, um, maybe the first tackle off the board and um, probably the second uh, defensive end off the board. What would you say? I mean, I obviously it's it's early and I don't want to, you know, in terms of, you know, like you said, you know, like this first game. What would you say in comparison, like Marcus Freeman, from what you have seen, what are his strengths as you look at him in comparison to where Brian Kelly was as the head coach? Because, you know, like the stories of Notre Dame doing extremely well recruiting now and obviously like the energy that Marcus Freeman is bringing to the program. But what would you say like the strengths of Marcus Freeman in comparison to Brian Kelly, how you how you would evaluate them? His biggest strength is the ability to connect with people. Um, that's that's the come. That's what everyone comes away from these qu- sort of questions. Is as far as the what Marcus Freeman brings, he connects with people, and he just you wouldn't see like like here's here's a story. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught the Manti Teo doc on Netflix, but you had the star football player of your 2012 national title run having a documentary and the head coach of the football team that that player was in, you had the athletic director there, but you didn't have his former head coach there. Right. Brian Kelly. um, There's a story that just came out about Phil Jerkovic. And um, during the 2018 off season, he was wondering if he should come back and, and Brian Kelly told him that he was going to call his parents or his, you know, and and talk to them and talk them through all this ghosted him. Um, Brian Kelly, um, famously, uh, Carter Carls, who wrote for the, uh, for the South Bend Tribune, um, ran a story about how Brian Kelly just didn't call recruits, just didn't call them. He, he expected his staff to do it, but he, he just expected to sit in his office and then would close on him when they brought him on the campus, but he didn't do the sort of, um, groundwork that you see from, you know, a lot of the top recruiters in the game, which, um, you know, when, when Freeman came on, that's, that's something that changed right away. He brought, um, you know, a lot of the things that you see, uh, somebody like a Brian Hartline do, um, where it's just dog, dogged recruiting and constantly connecting with players and keeping up with them and forming relationships and bonds. And, and Kelly, they, they call him a CEO sort of politician head coach. And, and that's very much what he was. Um, Freeman, he's, he's a, he's a people person, um, so we'll we'll see if that maybe helps with with preparing teams for the big game because a lot of times that's about connecting with your team, getting everybody, you know, bunkered down and in the same, you know, us versus them or the underdog mentality. And when you're the CEO, it's it's kind of tough to to really connect and to motivate in that aspect. Before we let you go, Brendan, uh, do you care to make a little prediction on on how this game might uh, end up final score wise? Yeah. Um, so you guys probably won't like it. Um, <laughs> of course, but I see, I think that a lot of what Notre Dame's done is, is look at the fact that, um, in order to beat Ohio state, uh, this century, 172 times Ohio state has scored 
30 plus points. 170 of those times they've won. They've only lost two games this century where Ohio State scored 30 points. They've never lost a history in the entire history of their program where they've scored 35 plus. That Utah game would have been the first one if it wasn't for that collapse. And they're, you know, running back, playing cornerback. Um, so for Notre Dame to win this game, I, I predict that they are going to make Ohio State. They're going to cover things over the top. They're going to give a lot of uh, underneath stuff. They're going to let Ohio State get theirs um, just like they did against USC, um, letting Drake London go for 175, no touchdowns, just like they did with North Carolina when they let um, you know Josh Downs go for 150. Um, and then Alec Pierce for Cincinnati, let him get 150, no touchdowns. They're going to let um, the wide receivers for Ohio State get theirs tune it up in the red zone, get stops on third down and get maybe the best college football kicker in the nation to kick two field goals instead of, uh, you know, two touchdown opportunities and come out of there with a 31 27 win. Um, I think Notre Dame is going to be able to run the football as well. Um, five out of the last eight teams to beat Ohio state have run for over 200 yards and outrushed the Buckeyes. Uh, two of the ones that didn't were uh, Alabama in the playoffs, and it was because they could throw it well in that title game. Um, and then the other one was Clemson. Um, and, you know, I'm not quite sure, you know, the, the jury's out if Clemson actually won that game. Um, but uh, they, got, they got credit for it. And you, you won't hear me playing the, the, loudest, uh, the loudest violin of sadness for that just because, circumstances were very similar to the Fiesta Bowl with uh, Anthony Gonzalez uh, against Notre Dame. Um, but I think that Notre Dame is going to be able to run the football. And I think that they're going to try and muck things up between the twenties and uh, make Ohio state uh, convert on short yardage situations, um, running the football inside. Um, and I think Notre Dame is going to be efficient in doing both of those things and pick up the win. All right. Well, Brendan, we shall see what happens on Saturday. But in the meantime, where can people find out, like our listeners, where can they find out uh, more about this Notre Dame program through your work online? Uh, well, you can find me at uh, at onefootdown.com um, and then on Twitter at Very Piety. Um, I do a lot of uh, Photoshop's memes and uh, uh, videos. Um, some of them, I mean, this, this would be come back after next week or maybe the week after. Um, and then I can get back to regularly dunking on, uh, Michigan. Uh, we are coming up close to, um, the anniversary of the app state game. So I'll probably have something fun for that, uh, to celebrate for, but, uh, yeah, at very piety on Twitter and then, uh, at, uh, onefootdown.com. All right. Brendan McCallenden from One Foot Down at SB Nation. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you coming on and uh, enlightening us a little bit about the Fighting Irish. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Good Thank luck you. with getting your power back. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. All right, have a good night. Thanks. And we're back. Chip. What do you make of Brendan's confidence in the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? Well, I, I certainly think it's warranted based on what he has seen. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to dispute. I think um, my, as I was listening to him, I think it's a sound strategy. We'll see if Notre Dame follows it I, in terms of you know in terms of trying to 
you know, prevent anything from going over the top. You know, it, it falls under that category of easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when he talked about, you know, some of the, you know, some of the possible uh, challenges or deficiencies that they have in their secondary, I think Ohio State will try to exploit that. Um, by the same token, you and I, and I think our listeners would acknowledge the fact Ohio State in the red zone has had issues. And I think if Notre Dame can, you know, keep uh, Ohio State from being able to break the long play, regardless of whether it's through the through the air or on the ground with like a Trayvon Henderson run, um, it plays to their favor. Um, I also, I go back to where I started with this is that, you know, based on what you've seen, you know, the fact that, um, you know, the last few years, with the exception of Jeff Halfley, when he was the defensive coordinator three years ago, Ohio State defensively, I mean, has has not been good. So I think that's kind of where that confidence comes from. So I, I don't take any offense to, uh, you know, a Notre Dame uh, fan. I mean, he came, I, I my, my uh, compliment to him is, I mean, he came fully prepared with like mm-hmm. stats to back up his assertions. So, um, you know, I think, it remains to be seen. I, you know, like my confidence is Ohio state will be better than Notre Dame fans probably are expecting on the defensive side. Yeah. And I wasn't suggesting that you should be offended. Oh, sure. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, The, the thing that stuck out to me was that it's a dangerous game to try to allow catches to these receivers and to assume you're going to stop them after they catch the football. Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the might be the best receiver in the country. I have boldly predicted in our our internal uh, predictions um, at uh, Land Grant Holy Land that he will win the Heisman Trophy this year. Uh, I don't know that you can stop him if he catches the ball underneath. We've seen him break too many big plays. Uh, and that's just him. That's not Marvin Harrison Jr. That's, uh, I mean, th- this is a, a deep and very talented wide receiver group. And not only a group that can catch and run and make moves and make people miss and break tackles, but they also get a lot of blocking downfield from their friends. Very good point. I agree. I think, you know, this, if anything, this this game, I think, Obviously, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I mean, the performance and performances, I should say, that he has had since he arrived in Columbus, you know, you know, to your point of, you know, Heisman Trophy worthiness. I think this year we're going to see not only continued excellence from Jackson Smith and Jigba, but we're going to see the, I don't want to say the introduction because Marvin Harrison Jr., I think he did that emphatically enough in the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. You know, we've seen Emeka Ibuka, um, you know, in terms of as a returner, how dangerous he is. And I think uh, when it comes to, and I'm, my fingers are crossed, I, you know, I, I know that we're, we're speaking, uh, but my fingers are crossed for Julian Fleming uh, to emerge, you know, to, to demonstrate why he was so highly recruited. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story that came out uh, during the scrimmage, the fact that uh, his shoulder that has had, he's had chronic issues with, Oh yeah, you know he popped it back into place. You know, so his toughness is not to be questioned. Um, I'm certainly hoping that that Fleming has a great year. So I think you you raise some very good points about. Okay, yeah, you know we're gonna let them catch, but not run. 
kind of where I said a few moments ago, that's easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, there are legitimate um, concerns on the offensive line. You and I want to see how that plays out. We want to see how this new offensive line does under a new coach with players playing in new positions, but presumably guys playing in the right spots now with guard, actual guards playing guard and, and tackles playing tackle rather than tackles playing all the positions. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I do think that Notre Dame has uh, a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball, but I think that Ohio State's played some teams with a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball that didn't slow them down a whole lot. So we'll we'll see how it goes. I I can't imagine this team not scoring more than twenty seven points, but um, I guess we'll see on Saturday night. Absolutely, that's why we play the games. That is why we play the games. I also think that, like you said, uh, the defense might be a little bit more prepared than maybe Notre Dame thinks. First year starting quarterback for them. And also don't underestimate a team playing under a defensive coordinator uh, who has a, a very clear vision and is used to calling the plays and also uh, a defense with a little bit of a chip on its shoulder. I I. I mentioned this before. I think the defense is finally just kind of okay, you know, for lack of a better word, enough. Like I'm I'm tired of being thought of in a collective sense as the weak link that is holding back this team from national championship aspirations. And so I think there are a number of players, um, regardless of whether it's in the secondary, the linebackers, defensive line that just kind of have that that mentality. I think uh we've heard about even in the in the Rose Bowl, you know, when it came to, you know, like in the second half, as badly as Ohio State had played defensively, you know, Tommy Eichenberg finally, like in the second half, they were kind of all like, okay, you know, we have to, and I think it was DeMario McCall was credited with with giving kind of an uh, impassioned speech that that motivated and ignited a fire on the on the on the defensive squad. And Tommy Eichenberg really responded to that. So yeah, I think there's going to be some of that. And to your point from a moment ago, I think that Jim Knowles, this isn't, yeah, this is his first game as Ohio State's defensive coordinator and it's against a very talented team, but this isn't his first time calling plays. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to shrink under the national spotlight of, you know, the fact that it's Notre Dame. I think, I think he's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, we will get to our picks to click for the Notre Dame game and our score predictions in just a few moments. But uh, thanks again to Brendan McCallenden for uh, for stopping by. I mean, that was that was excellent, yeah. and uh, we really appreciate his time. Let's get to that Saturday slate that we were about to talk about a little earlier. The Saturday slate, of course, is capped by Notre Dame at Ohio State at 7.30 p.m. in the Horseshoe in Columbus. Uh, Saturday games include Colorado State at Michigan. We talked uh, or just mentioned briefly Jim Harbaugh has decided He's going to start one quarterback in the first game, Cade McNamara. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna go with his other quarterback in the second game, and then just see what he sees. I guess I, I'm I'm not sure why he's courting disaster here, or if he's just trying to keep someone from transferring. But it this this is going to be something that I watch with an entire bucket of popcorn. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I agree with what you said about courting disaster. I think this is, you know, for maybe Jim Harbaugh didn't get the memo uh, just because, all right, regardless of who he announces as the starter, possibly in game three and beyond, 
does not mean that the guy who is announced as the backup doesn't mean that he can't just pick up, you know, and and leave for what he considers, you know, greener. I mean that that happens. So I agree. I think that he's 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 definitely you know flirting with disaster. Um, I don't think I don't think the Wolverines will have any problem with Colorado State though. No, I I kind of said um, when when Jim Harbaugh said this. Blake Corum could play quarterback for most of their schedule and they would be fine because they don't have a very difficult schedule this year. No, if anything, that's going to, I think in the long run, that might give them, uh, an, an already, you know, like you're talking about a fan base, uh, that already has an overinflated sense of importance and, uh, you know, superiority, um, this this non-conference schedule is, is not going to do them any favors in the long run. Yeah. Uh, South Dakota State is visiting Iowa. I expect the Hawkeyes to be fine there. Yeah. Um, I'm always leery of, you know, any of these FCS opponents, you know, but um, I think Iowa defensively, I think they should be pretty stout and I think mm-hmm. they'll, they'll do fine. Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about it. We we think Iowa is going to be the primary challenger uh, for Wisconsin in the West. We've also shown that we know nothing about the West already. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct. Buffalo will go to Maryland. We'll get the first look to see if Maryland has a defense to go with its uh, considerable talent on offense. Uh, and I don't expect the Terrapins to have any trouble at home. Not at all. I think that I think that Maryland offense like you said i think they're they're going to do fine and you know we'll see if a defense emerges for the terrapins so we're both liking a lot of the big 10 uh, schools in week one but then i already know you don't like rutgers at boston college to come out victorious i think it this is kind of you know it falls into that pick them you know type thing we talked earlier about like penn state purdue um i think both teams are you know kind of comparable in terms of you know talent and mm-hmm. I'm just going to give it to Boston College just because it's it's at home, plain and simple. Yeah. North Dakota at Nebraska, Chip. What are we going to get for this one? Is it going to be a one-score game? I hope not, and I hope for Scott Frost's sake, uh, you know, if anything, I hope that he uh, learns from his mistakes, learns to that the offensive coaching staff learns to run the ball better. Um and hopefully Nebraska gets in the win column after this one. And Illinois State visits Wisconsin. The Badgers should roll pretty big in this one. I agree. I agree completely. And that brings us back to Notre Dame at Ohio State. At Ohio Stadium, 730. Oh, I'm looking forward to this, but I'm also nervous. Uh, I, but I get nervous in before every game. It doesn't even matter who the opponent is. So um, we will see. Who's going to come out on top? We have got to pick our picks to click and our score predictions as we always do. Uh, we've mentioned that we we think the defense, we want to see it, but we think they're going to be better this year. Uh, they have a clear vision. They have someone who's used to calling plays, calling the plays. Um, certainly there's talent here. I think there's going to be a little bit of a... Um, Tommy Eichenberg resurgence this year. I think that by the season's end, he might be a fan favorite. Yeah, I do. I think I, I think you're on to something. I think Tommy Eichenberg um, 
fair or unfair, I mean, like, I think the linebackers, you know, like they have been, they have been the object of scorn and ridicule by the Ohio State fans for a number of years. Um, I, I could definitely see Tommy Eichenberg emerging as a fan favorite by the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you say what you want about Notre Dame uh, hiring a linebackers coach who used to coach Ohio State. Um, there's a reason he's not there anymore. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess it would have been a good question to ask Brendan when when we had him, um, you know, because I think Al Washington may maybe coaching the defensive line. I'm not sure. You know, I all I know is after the conclusion of the season, Ryan Day had seen enough, um, you know, and there's a reason why Larry Johnson Sr. is the only person standing um, that was on that staff, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that has stuck around. and. You know, Al Washington, I'm sure I'm sure he had this game circled on his calendar for, uh, you know, for many months now. But we'll see if that translates onto the field in terms of success. Yeah. And I want to see how Larry Johnson has a bounce back year this year under Jim Knowles. I want to see how his line performs, but more importantly, his edge rushers. Oh, absolutely. I think that I mean, it's now or never, Uh, you know, they're, you know, Zach Harrison, you know, Fairly or unfairly came in with a lot of uh, high expectations, you know, based on his recruiting rankings. Granted, uh, it was the kind of thing where a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, this kid's pretty raw, you know, just because he can run really fast and he looks the part doesn't he doesn't he's not necessarily nearly as polished and ready to go like the Boses or Chase Young. Mm -hmm. So uh, to that point, I think, you know, this is the opportunity for Zach Harrison to silence his critics. Yeah. And. that could come early, uh, but they're going to have to they're going to have to come in under control against a mobile quarterback. So uh, you, we've seen so many times where an Ohio State uh, defender will come in and maybe just whiff, and uh, it's a big play instead of a sack. So uh, they'll have to they have to build a, a a nice little pocket around this quarterback, or allow the the pocket to develop, and then just crush it like an aluminum can <laughs> we'll see hopefully that's that's the plan all right uh and i'm also interested to see how this team can run the football in short yardage situations or if they uh, you know go another way do they go with play action to the tight end and i also think that we might see a very surprising season from cade stover this year yeah cade stover is definitely i think he's he's certainly on that list i would say of players who could emerge as a fan favorite, um, you know, and to that point, you know, the fact that he's moved back and forth between defense and offense, you know, this opportunity as, as a captain at, you know, every year, you know, Ohio state fans are thinking this is the year of the tight end. Um, I'm not going to be so bold as to, to predict that, but I do think that his skill set may lend itself well, you know, not only with blocking, but like you said, with the play action, that he he might actually be a beneficiary of you know play action passes um, maybe not against Notre Dame but against other opponents. And finally, before we do get to our our final uh, picks here, little discussion out of camp about C.J. Stroud seemingly more open to the idea of running the football in his second year as a starter. Is this just window dressing? Is this just something to maybe make uh, opponents? have to prepare for or think about, or do you really think that we will see CJ Stroud on the move a little more this year? I think a little of both. Uh, 
I think the the running, yeah, let's let's give your opposing defenses, you know, something to to be concerned about. But by the same token, I think that the comfort and the confidence CJ Stroud probably has in himself and in his understanding of the offense. When you think about it, a year ago at this time, we're talking about the roster had quarterbacks that had never thrown a pass in 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 a game. Exactly. So even though, you know, like, you know, like I, I freely admit I was in this category. And like, what did he throw what? for 48 and, touchdowns or something? Yeah, like that exactly. Year? Yeah. I mean, and I was always, I was the guy that was always like, I can't believe he didn't run, you know, when, when yardage was there, mm-hmm. but it might've been just, okay. Just, I don't want to say like a lacking confidence, but just, you know, the fact that, okay, maybe he, he felt like, okay, I really should just, you know, cry and, you know, take with, with, um, what the defense is giving me and not necessarily, you know, run for it, but just try and throw for it. Um, I think maybe we'll see kind of, like you said, a little of both, you know, give the defense a little something to think about. And the same token, it wouldn't surprise me if he say, sees opportunities for yardage that can help prolong those drives. Well, I hope he slides better than Justin Fields. Yeah. Can only hope. Can <laughs> only hope. All right. It is time chip for our picks. To All right. Can you believe it? I can't. All right. I'm going to let you go first on our picks to click. We're going to start with offense. Who's going to have a big game for the Ohio State offense on Saturday night? Okay. I'm not going to take the obvious Jackson Smith and Jigbo because I know, obviously, you know, what you said earlier about the, you know, Heisman Trophy candidacy, but I am going to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. demonstrated. In the Rose Bowl, his capacity, especially in the red zone, um, you know, he's and this has been the case ever since he enrolled. I remember watching him in the spring game and people were like, you know, just, you know, already penciling him in and forgetting the fact, no, he's not going to start. He was only a true freshman. Now the opportunity is there for him. And I think he's going to seize the moment. And I I look for a big game for Marvin Harrison Jr. Sounds good. I'm uh, I, I, I like the pick. Uh, I may have made that pick myself, in fact, but, uh, you know, we talk a lot about CJ Stroud. We talk a lot about Jackson Smith and Jigba. We talk a lot about the passing game in general. And I think despite the fact that he's on a lot of preseason award watch lists, I really think it's been a quiet off season in terms of discussion of Travion Henderson. And Mm -hmm. I think as a result, Maybe Trevion Henderson comes out and makes a statement week one. I'm going to take him as my pick to click. I like it. I thought about that one too, by the way. Yeah. So there you go. Defensive side of the ball. I will go first and I am going to take, and I couldn't wait to do it. Uh, I'm going to take a guy who I think by the end of the season, maybe emerges as a starter. And, and it's like maybe the preferred number one guy at his position and that's Jack Sawyer. I think Jack Sawyer is is going to start the season maybe getting a certain number of, of reps, a certain number of snaps, and I think that number is going to grow throughout the year, and he's going to have a very solid season for Ohio State. Very, very tempting pick. Uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the need for Ohio State's front, defensive front, to apply more pressure, and I think Jack Sawyer is one of these guys that, uh, you know, his versatility and his athleticism. I, I don't think we really saw all of it last year. I think this is is going to be the kind of season 
um, where Jack Sawyer is going to certainly make his presence known. So I, I like that pick. All right, um, who you got? All right, I'm going to go with a guy that I don't want to say that he knows the defense as well as Jim Knowles, but there's a reason why Jim Knowles was thrilled that he came with him, and that I'm going to go with Tanner McAllister for the simple reason that you know we haven't really talked about Michael Mayer at Notre Dame being a tight end who you know is definitely you know one of these guys that I don't want to say he's the only, but he's probably Notre Dame's biggest offensive threat. I would think Tanner McAllister would be an ideal person to kind of not necessarily have to cover him one-on-one, but, you know, in terms of certain matchups, things like that, I think Tanner McAllister might be called upon. Okay. I like it. We will of course see what happens on Saturday, but uh, Saturday night when the game ends, Final whistle blows. What's your final score? I'm not liking this 17 and a half point spread. I know that that's kind of where we are. Um, kind of what Brendan had mentioned. I think it's going to. I think it's going to be a closer game than I think a lot of fans realize. I do think Ohio State's going to come out on top, and I, I look at it as more kind of almost mirroring what happened last year in the season opener against Minnesota, where Ohio State eventually you know pulled away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go something along the lines of like Ohio State 38, Notre Dame 20. 38, 20. Okay. Uh, it's almost like we're the same person sometimes, Chip. Um, <laughs> I, I have a, a very similar score. When you gave your Ohio State score, I was like, <laughs> I was like, because I have Ohio State 38 and Notre Dame 28. There you go. So I think that um, I think it'll be a nervy game, and um, you know Notre Dame might even lead early, but I think that most of the game will be a close game with Ohio State leading. That's kind of how I envision it. Yeah, I, I I'm looking for like late third quarter. All of a sudden, Ohio State like it's 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 to your point from earlier that easier said than done. I think eventually, like those those bigger plays will start to start to happen. And I think Ohio state pulls away. You know, it's hard to judge um, a player from game film. And you may think you're really athletic and then you get out there and you have to cover Jackson Smith and Jigba, or you have to tackle him in space, or you have to bring down Marvin Harrison jr. Who's he's not the typical wide receiver body. Um, and it's not something that you're really good at doing right off the bat. And, and we all always seem to see tackling issues from all teams early in seasons because, you know, teams don't want to get guys hurt. So they don't do a lot of live tackling drills and, and that's, uh, that can cause some, some sloppiness early in games and early in the season. And I think that if you're trying to bring those guys down and you make any kind of mistake, you are not getting the tackle. I agree. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely much more physical than I think people realize. Yeah. And, and again, if, if you think you're just going to let them come underneath your umbrella and then close, you do still have to contend with tight ends blocking downfield and, and wide receivers who are very good blockers and have, you know, have to prove that they can block to get on the field. And, um, you know, sometimes, all it takes is one well-timed block and a good read of that block to get yourself in a position where they can't catch you once you once you get you know behind them. Exactly. 
All right, Chip. We are in our preseason. Uh, preseason is over. We are in our season uh, weekly game you know, prep and our weekly previews. We've got Notre Dame preview in the books. We will come back next week. We'll talk about uh, how Ohio State and Notre Dame ended up uh, shaking out in the end. We will walk through, of course, the other results around the Big Ten, which we've we've gone through the full schedule here. Is there any particular one game that you're looking forward to outside of the Ohio State game? Um, well, we talked about that Penn State Purdue game on th- on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I, I you know I, I definitely will be watching. Um, and I guess you know during the day, uh, you know before kickoff, you know I'll probably you know outside of the Big Ten, I'll probably be watching that that. Uh, Oregon Georgia game, you know, to see how that, you know, you're talking about, you know, and Georgia's another one of those teams that is being considered, you know, a possible college football playoff contender. So it'll be interesting to see how they do without their defensive coordinator, who's now Oregon's head coach, you know, and as well as the fact that they lost a ton of players to the NFL. So just to kind of see where they're all, how they're all looking. Yeah, it's a good call. It's going to be a nice full Saturday of college football. And uh, like you, I am really looking forward to that Thursday night game, Penn State at Purdue. Of, of all the games in the Big Ten this weekend that are not Ohio State related, I think that's the one um, just to kind of gauge where both of those teams are. So sure. I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, very excited to be talking about Ohio State football games specifically. Uh, we cannot blink, Chip, because if we blink, the season will be half over. Ah, oh, don't remind me. And so we're not blinking. There's no blinking on the Silver Bullets podcast. If you would like to get your questions in for us, you can ask us anything, or you can just reach out and tell us what you think of the show or, or how you're enjoying it, or give us some pointers. Tell us what we're doing wrong or what you'd like to see. Any of that will apply. You can email us at silverbulletspod at gmail.com. Be sure to hit us up and follow us on Twitter at silver bullets pod. And that's, there's no E in silver on Twitter. So it's S I L V R bullets pod on Twitter. So hit us up there, chip, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter at chip Last name is spelled M I N N I C H. And I'm happy to report that I am, uh, besides a contributor to Athlon sports, I am now writing for land grant Holy land. I have a column that will be dropping on Friday afternoons at 12 p.m. Basically, three things to watch. So it's kind of like a look at, you know, like an offensive, a defensive, maybe like a, kind of an intangible thing. So look for that on Land Grant Holy Land as of 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Nice. On Friday. I, um, I like it. You can find me on Twitter at Mike36Fan. And you can find me at Land Grant Holy Land. The Grumpy Old Buckeye returns at LandGrantHolyLand.com. And we're going to a little different this year. We're going to run at midday on Monday. So your grumpy old Buckeye uh, need for, you you know, you're going to feast on a grumpy old Buckeye at lunchtime on Monday. A lot of percolated grumpiness over, you know, (laughs) period, you know, period of hours, let's say. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is a first week that has the potential to really uh, make me grumpy. So um, I know. There I know be some, some extra grumpiness mm-hmm. in the cards on Monday, but hopefully it's all very tongue in cheek grumpiness and not legitimate grumpiness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So thanks again to uh, Brendan McCallan for, uh, from one foot down 
for joining us and telling us a little bit about Notre Dame. He's uh, obviously well versed in that uh, program. He he knows his stuff. He's looking looking stuff up. He's doing research. We you know we don't need you to do homework if you come on our show, but it's cool if you do. I, I think it it, it certainly <laughs> adds to it certainly adds yeah. to the credibility for, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, we won't get into the extenuating circumstances like CJ Stroud's are, you know, shoulder early in the season and things like that. We won't talk about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it'll be interesting to see as of Saturday night. Yeah, indeed. How excited are you scale one to 10? Oh, we're okay. We're at 12. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm, I don't have tickets. Um, like I think I, I may have mentioned to you, um, Mrs. Minnick and I are going down to tailgate with our daughter, who is a student at Ohio State, and her friends, and then we will watch the game elsewhere. But yeah, we're excited. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to the Silver Bullets podcast. We appreciate it. That's it. We're done. We're in our season, and we'll be back next week to do it all again. So there's nothing left for us to do, but we do at the end every time, and that is to say... Go Bucks. Go Bucks.